Larry McKnight here. Today I'm going to talk uh, about seeing your heart as God sees your heart. And I don't know if any of you have ever considered that question. It was a, a neat idea for me to begin to think about when I first felt like the Lord was leading me into an understanding of it. And then I thought, well, this will be simple, but it turns out there's a very, very important thing that happens around our hearts, a really important thing that happens when we think about them. And I think part of it comes from some translation bias, some theological bias that comes into Scripture. We're going to look at that today in this brief introduction. So again, we're going to talk for a bit about seeing your heart as God sees your heart and how important that is to being comfortable with God, to knowing who He is and how He sees you and who He thinks you are, and uh, just setting you free to enjoy His love. So let's look at the first Scripture that has something to do with this. Here's a couple of points. Uh, Our hearts do have the capacity for good even great good. Think about the, the amazing stories throughout history of people who put their life in harm's way for others or um, sacrifice themselves for other people. It's an amazing thing. Uh, on the other hand, we have a, di- a tendency to distrust our heart because you and I both know that, that both good and evil can come out of it. We can have wonderful benevolent thoughts that flow out of our hearts, and we can also have terrible thoughts and thoughts of judgment or or uh, darkness and temptation, stuff like that. So what's the story with our heart, really? Is it right to question the skepticism that we have towards our heart? Or is it is it okay for us to have permission to consider that our heart might be more of a tool given to us by God than we thought? There's a particular passage of Scripture in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17.9, that in a lot of our lives have... Uh, made it difficult to trust our heart. So let me read this to you. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The next verse goes on to say, I, the Lord, search the heart, and I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So let me read one more time. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. This is according to the New American Standard Translation. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Let me show you on screen here a number of translations and how they approach the translation of this verse. I just read the New American Standard to you. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. The New King James is a much more familiar-sounding passage. It says, The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Desperately wicked. The New Living Translation says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And the NIV says, The heart is deceitful above all things. And then the NIV makes this declaration, which I think is bold but not justified. It is beyond a cure. Who can understand it? The message says the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. Interestingly, these translations borrow deeply from theology. They borrow deeply from the expectation that at the fall, everything about us became corrupted. Everything about us became filled with sin, dominated by sin. So you can understand how uh, the heart is desperately wicked came into play. But I want to show you something interesting in a minute. 
I've got a little study guide up here, and the word that is translated and desperately wicked in Jeremiah 17.9 is the word anash, the Hebrew word anash. And what that word means is it means frail or feeble, melancholy. So I understand the concept of desperate. If you envision a frail, feeble person in the middle of a set of circumstances or in the middle of a crowd or in the middle of a challenge, the concept of desperation could easily come to mind. But why would you attach the word wicked to it? You can look a little bit on the Hebrew interlineal that I've got on the screen, but I can just tell you with assurance, there's no implication, there's no language that speaks to wickedness about this. It simply says that your heart is frail. Your heart is feeble. Well, that's a whole different thing than it being desperately wicked. Or, as the New Living Translation said, the most wicked thing there is. Is it possible for us to trust our heart? And that's what I'm going to propose to you, that we begin to get in the place where we can trust our heart. But again, we run up against a scripture that's a little bit of a challenge. Proverbs 28:26 in the New American Standard says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. New King James, very similar. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. New Living, the one that, that speaks about our heart as being the most desperate thing there is. Those who trust their own insights are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. And so I don't think that this is saying we can't trust our heart. I think it's saying we can't trust our heart outside of the realms of wisdom. I'm not trying to suggest that we make an idol out of our heart or that we make a god out of our heart, but I am trying to suggest that we not be scared off from the value of our heart, and here's why. God has chosen to use our heart as the most precious real estate in all creation. How valuable is your heart? It's not just based on the deeds that, that uh, come from it. It's not just based on the things it can harbor. Your heart has an amazing capacity. It can hold a lot. Let's look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. It's a big section there, but it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, talking about our inner man, talking about a work of God's Spirit in your life and in my life, and here's why. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Wow. So that Christ may dwell, may live, may move in and take up residence in your hearts through faith. One of the primary works of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant is to expand the space of our hearts to make it possible for Jesus himself to live in there. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, we're taught that uh, his life is the light of men, and that light enlightens the heart of every man. That means that there's something of Jesus' life, something of his light, that is living inside your heart and my heart right now. Regardless of the decisions we've made or not made, he's in us. He's living there. And so I ask you a question. Is the place that God chose to take up residence in you likely to be the most despicable thing that you can think of, the dirtiest place, the most evil place? No. Our hearts suffered under the fall, no question about it. And we have the capacity to, to, to let flow from our hearts the, uh, some dark things, some dark thoughts. 
But the reality is our heart is also a wellspring of our life, and it's a place that's been chosen by God and designed by God to house the very presence of his Son. Jesus is the light of the world. When he moves into our hearts, that's why we become that light. What do you think happens to darkness when the light, the caliber of Jesus, moves into us? So I want us to to consider the possibility that we've been giving our heart kind of a bad rap. I want you to consider the possibility that because the word wicked is not in that passage in Jeremiah 9, that it was added there by people who were just trying to be sure that we didn't underestimate the darkness of sin. Well, let's not underestimate that darkness, but let's not also give it power to be stronger than the light of life that is in Jesus Christ. Your heart and my heart deserves a second look. It deserves to be cared for. We're going to study this a little bit further as we get into this uh, series. But the main reason that we need to change the way we think about our heart is it is the place that God has chosen to take up residence in the person of his Son, to devote the energy of his Holy Spirit to, and to act as a place of interface so that we can begin to hear his voice and learn his ways. One of the reasons I think people have a hard time hearing the voice of Jesus is because they don't realize it's coming from their heart and that that's his voice, and they begin to doubt because they've been conditioned to think how foolish it would be to trust my heart. I'm not saying trust it as a natural entity. I'm saying trust it as the place that God has chosen to dwell in and with you and to interface with you. 